Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you all. You know, when I was eight years old, everyone in my third grade class learned how to play the recorder. Everyone except for me. You see, I never practiced at home, and so I never learned to make the sounds or to follow the music. And so during rehearsals, when we were in class, I would just pretend like I was playing. Um, And since I was surrounded by students who were playing, no one seemed to notice or seemed to care that I was faking it. Then when it came time for our third grade concert, I faked it. Sorry, Mom. I never did learn how to play the recorder. And that's why it's ironic when I joined the campus ministry at Azusa Pacific University in 2008, and part of my job as the chapel director was overseeing six student-led chapel bands, and part of my resume was faking playing the recorder in third grade. I didn't mention that during the interview process for that job. Now, fortunately, I had an excellent associate director named Brian, who was an excellent musician. And at the start of every school year, our associate director would give a speech to all 40 of our student musicians that led these chapel bands. And he would say that practice is what every musician does on their own. Every musician is responsible to practice their instrument, whether it's an instrument or their voice, on their own time. And then he would say that rehearsal is what happens when musicians who've been practicing on their own, when they come together to learn to play together to get ready for a performance or for a worship service or something like that. You practice on your own, you rehearse when you're with other musicians. Now that distinction between practice and rehearsal has stuck with me through the years. We're in week three of a four-week series called Glenkirk on Mission. And in this series, we're looking at how we might renew our commitment as a congregation to live out our mission as a church. So far, we've looked at worship and invite. As a worshiping community, we are all about Jesus. And as an inviting community, we are about other people. And today, we're going to talk about becoming. Glenkirk is a worshiping community inviting everyone to join in the journey of becoming, becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This part of our mission is sometimes called discipleship. About 15 years ago, a Christian author named Dallas Willard said that discipleship was the great omission of the church in America, the great omission. Despite the fact that we have more access to Bibles and discipleship resources than any previous generation in church history, the church in America has not effectively discipled its people to follow Jesus. Instead, we've often turned pastors into celebrities, worship services into entertainment, and churches into mega malls that pander to people's consumer preferences and wants. And I think Dallas Willard was right. So whenever I hear Christians express their ideas in vile and hateful ways, I see a failure in discipleship. 
When I see Christians post things on social media that are blatantly false or that are intended to ridicule people that they disagree with, I see a failure in discipleship. When I hear Christians embrace ideas that they've, they've read online or watched on TV that contradict basic Christian doctrines, I see a failure in discipleship. A lot of Christians in the U.S. today are like third grade Tim, pretending to play the recorder and hoping no one else notices that they're faking it. But when the majority of the orchestra is faking it, suddenly it becomes obvious that something has gone terribly wrong. And Dallas Willard was right. Something has gone terribly wrong. Today, I want to look at two sides of becoming. One side is what we do on our own, the practice part. The other side is what we do when we come together, the rehearsal part. And to do that, we're going to look at two passages from Scripture. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word today? First from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and then from Colossians chapter 1. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, it says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You can be seated. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is about the practice part. This whole chapter is an extended reflection on a story about Moses that's found in Exodus chapter 34. And here in verse 18, you and I, we all, all of us believers who've trusted in Jesus, are pictured as being like Moses in that story. Just as Moses encountered God's glory on the mountain, we have all encountered God's glory through Jesus. Without any barriers between us and God, that's what unveiled faces makes reference to, we contemplate God's glory through Jesus. The word contemplate, it describes some, looking at something indirectly, like looking at a reflection in a mirror. Whenever we read the Bible or we worship together or we pray, we see God's glory being reflected to us through Jesus. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the image of the invisible God, because he is the true reflection of God's character, nature, and glory. And as we contemplate God's glory through Jesus, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. 
The word transform, it means to change the essential nature of something, like a a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly. We are being transformed, changed on the inside. Our characters and our priorities are being remolded. Our beliefs and our emotions are being reformed. Our thoughts and our intentions are being renewed. And the words contemplate and transform, they are dependent on each other. They work together. As we contemplate active voice, this is something that we do, we are being transformed. Passive voice, this is something that God is doing in us. We contemplate, God transforms. And the present tense indicates that this is a continual process. Over a lifetime, as we contemplate God's glory in Jesus, God is transforming us into his image with ever-increasing glory. This verse is about our spiritual formation. God expects every Christian to take an active role in their own spiritual formation. We are all responsible to take an active role in this process. No one else can do it for you. Not your parents, not your pastors, not your elders, not your friends, not your church, not your spouse. No one can do this for you. Back to our music analogy, spiritual formation is the equivalent to a musician practicing on their own. And a Christian who doesn't take an active role in their own spiritual formation will be like third grade Tim, pretending to live a Christian life and hoping no one notices. What might spiritual formation look like here at Glenkirk? Let me share a couple of my hopes regard to spiritual formation. We will be a community of spiritual formation when every member is learning to practice spiritual rhythms. Practicing spiritual rhythms. The Bible says to train for our spiritual formation the way an athlete prepares to compete in their sport. And one way we train is by learning spiritual disciplines, or what I'm calling spiritual rhythms. Rhythms like daily Bible reading, daily time in prayer, weekly Sabbath where we worship with God's people, consistent time where we have solitude and silence where we listen to what God is stirring inside of our own hearts. There are dozens of these spiritual rhythms. In fact, I was excited that our women's ministry two weekends ago built a prayer labyrinth on the west side of our campus for prayer walks so we could practice that as a spiritual rhythm. And I realize we have people at all different stages of spiritual maturity here at Glenkirk, and I think that's a good and healthy thing. But what if every member started taking steps to learn spiritual rhythms? What if the entire orchestra that we call Glenkirk Church, from the beginnings to the experts, is practicing daily, weekly spiritual rhythms? We will be a community of spiritual formation when every member is looking for God's invitation in their struggles. God's invitation. All of us go through hard times in life, broken relationships, health issues, financial setbacks, family losses, disappointment with our leaders. And the book of James says that we should count it joy when these kinds of things happen, not because they're enjoyable, but because every time we go through a hard time, 
there is an invitation from God in it to grow in our spiritual formation. There are some things God wants to do in our lives that will only come out of pain. I knew this guy at a previous church who had a reputation for being a jerk to everyone around him. Maybe you know this guy. (laughs) He would bully his wife. He was aloof with his kids. He was mean to his coworkers. Constantly criticized me and the other pastors on staff at the church. And whenever anyone confronted him about it, he would just get defensive and say, that's just how he was. Well, eventually his wife divorced him. And as his kids grew older, they didn't want to spend their time with him. And as he went through the anguish of a divorce and fractured relationships with his adult children, God began to do a new work in him. New gifts of empathy and compassion and gentleness began to emerge from within him. He is a very different guy today than he was 15 years ago. He's reconciled with his adult children gracious to the people around him? What if every time we go through a hard time, we looked for God's invitation in it for our own spiritual formation? We'll be a community of spiritual formation when every member is discerning the Holy Spirit's direction. Discerning the Spirit's direction. Galatians 5.25 says to keep in step with the Spirit. That means discerning the Holy Spirit's promptings as we go through our everyday life. Discerning when to stop what we're doing and to pray. Discerning when to text or call a friend that we haven't talked to in a while. When to linger in a conversation that we're tempted to cut short. When to turn around and help a person experiencing homelessness that we just walked by. The Spirit will guide us in these situations. If we learn to listen to him, that's spiritual formation. We'll be a community of spiritual formation when every member is stewarding their gifts and their resources for ministry, stewarding. We all have gifts, spiritual gifts, natural talents, abilities that we've learned. And we all have resources, resources of time and money and possessions and influence. All of these gifts and resources come from God, and God has entrusted them to us to bless the lives of other people. One of my friends is a successful business owner. And one day years ago when she was at church, she went forward to receive communion in her church, and she found herself standing next to a person who's experiencing homelessness, and they went forward together to receive communion. And as they walked down the aisle, she sensed the Spirit tell her to begin using her business skills to helping the homeless in her community. She became a homeless advocate in her city, made a huge impact on our community by stewarding the gifts and resources that God had given her. That's spiritual formation. Finally, we'll be a community of spiritual formation when every member is developing a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview. A Christian worldview is a biblically informed, theologically integrated way of looking at the world. It's like a set of glasses that helps us make sense out of what's happening around us. According to the Barna organization, only 17% of evangelical Christians in America have a Christian worldview. 17%. 
Spiritual formation includes our minds being renewed. These are a couple of my spiritual formation hopes here at Glencurt in the days, the months, and the years ahead. But spiritual formation is only one side of becoming. It's what each of us does on our own. It's our practice. But what about what we do together? And that's where Colossians 1, 28 and 29 comes in. Paul says that he proclaims Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that he might present everyone fully mature in Christ. He says that all of his energy goes into this work. Christian leaders have a responsibility to proclaim Christ to the people they're leading. Pastors, elders, leaders proclaim Christ by admonishing and by teaching. Admonishing is warning someone about danger. Like a hiker who warns another hiker, hey, there's a rattlesnake 10 feet up the trail. That's admonishing. Admonishing is when our church leaders are warning us about ideas or priorities or practices that they know will be destructive to our spiritual formation. Pastors sometimes risk making people mad when they admonish. I know pastors who've been run out of their churches for admonishing their people with biblical truth. Teaching is communicating accurate Biblical doctrine to people. Accurate biblical doctrine. And in the Bible, teaching takes place in both formal and informal ways. Like teaching takes place in Sunday school and in classrooms and lecture halls and from church pulpits. But it also takes place in coffee shop conversations and on hikes while changing the oil on a car, cooking a meal. Recently, my 21-year-old stepson told my wife Cindy that now that he's an adult, he realizes all the ways that I was teaching him things about life and he didn't even notice it at the time. I'm sneaky that way, I guess. Teaching is both formal and informal. And the goal of this proclamation of Christ through teaching and admonishing is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Some translations put it, perfect, or the New American Standard, complete in Christ. Full maturity, that's a lofty goal. Full maturity in Christ is, is, isn't just a lot of Bible knowledge or perfect church attendance or a resume of Christian service. It also is intimacy with Jesus and transformation of our character to be like Jesus. Full maturity includes our emotional maturity. Christian author Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says that a person can't be emotionally immature and spiritually mature. And as we'll see next week, full maturity in Christ is a life of wholehearted love for God and ever-expanding love for people. See, someday, every Christian is going to stand before God and give an account for the kind of person they've become. Not just an account of the things that they've done, their actions, but an account of the kind of person that they've become in this life. Your leaders are responsible before God to help you prepare for that day well. God calls every congregation 
to disciple its members towards spiritual maturity. To disciple its members towards spiritual maturity. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 are about discipleship. And if spiritual formation is the practice, discipleship is the rehearsal. If we're not practicing on our own, it'll be really hard to rehearse when we come together. So let me briefly share a couple of my discipleship hopes here at Glenkirk in the months and years ahead. We will be a community of discipleship when we are welcoming people of all ages. People of all ages. You know, I, I left campus ministry at Azusa Pacific University after nine years because I wanted to be part of intergenerational ministry. And you can't really do that at a Christian university. I knew I'd have to be in a local church for that. Here at Glenkirk, counting the kids in our nursery, we have seven different generations. People of all ages. We'll be a community of discipleship when we're helping people grow at every stage of spiritual development. People go through different stages in their spiritual formation. And a healthy congregation will have people at all of those stages, the whole spectrum. And that means that the next step of spiritual growth for one person might be very different than it is for another person. We can't have a one-size-fits-all approach to discipleship if we have people at all different stages in their own spiritual formation journey. We'll be a community of discipleship when we are creating clear pathways for people to grow. Clear pathways. Creating clear discipleship pathways at every stage of spiritual maturity is a challenging task. That's why churches often will only cater to one or two stages of spiritual growth. I'm excited as Pastor Kate begins to work with our discipleship ministry team to begin to discern and create these pathways for discipleship at all stages in spiritual growth. We'll be a community of discipleship when we design our ministries for spiritual growth. Now, I'm not saying that every ministry has to be an in-depth Bible study, but every ministry ought to be helping people grow in their faith. Otherwise, we risk making Glenkirk into a social club instead of a church. And part of that great omission that Dallas Willard warned about 15 years ago is he said there are a lot of social clubs out there masquerading as churches. Finally, we will be a community of discipleship when our leaders are reflecting Christ's character in their leadership. Our pastors and elders, our deacons and our staff, we are not perfect. We're just people like you. We're also on our own spiritual formation journey. But we also know that how our leaders lead us is just as important as where they lead us. There are too many stories these days about churches with bullying elders or narcissistic pastors or spiritually abusive leaders. A community of discipleship will have leaders who take their own spiritual formation just as seriously as they ask everyone else to take theirs. A lot of Christians in America have been faking it like third grade Tim, faking it on his recorder. 
God expects each of us to actively participate in our own spiritual formation. And God expects our church and its leaders to disciple people towards spiritual maturity. This is the way forward to becoming, becoming more fully devoted followers of Jesus. One way becoming happens here at Glenkirk is through our small groups. Last fall, we had 260 of you participate in short-term sermon-based small groups when we went through the book of James together. We're starting a new series next month in just a couple of weeks called Living by Faith. And we're looking to start some new eight-week short-term small groups to coincide with that new series. They'll, They'll use a study guide that our pastors write every week that are designed to help people grow in their own spiritual formation, in their practice, and when they come together in small groups in their rehearsal. And so if you're not already in a group, I encourage you to, to stop at the little bistro table under the, um, um, out on the patio under the tent and to fill out an interest form either as a leader or a host or to join an eight-week small group. If you're watching online, you can, you can express your interest on our website at glenkirkchurch.org slash smallgroups. Now, what exactly is it that we're practicing and rehearsing for? When musicians practice and rehearse, it's because they're going to play music for someone. And the music that we play is our witness to the beauty and greatness, to the truth and goodness of Jesus Christ. In many ways, what we talked about last week when we talked about inviting It grows exponentially as we become, as we become more fully devoted. As we become the orchestra that we call Glenkirk, from the babies to the seniors, from the beginners to the mothers and fathers in the faith, we'll be able to play beautiful music that a world desperately needs to hear. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these challenging words from Scripture. And thank you for your promise that you will complete the work that you have begun within us and among us. Lord, this is not about gritting our teeth and trying. It's about finding your grace and cooperating. And thank you for your promise to meet us at whatever stage we are and to help us take our next step. Lord, may this congregation be a congregation that is becoming, becoming more like Jesus in our words, in our actions, in our priorities, in our relationships, and how we spend money and how we spend our time. May we be becoming more fully devoted to you. We pray these things in Christ's name.